the Bitcoin network needs the different cryptocurrency miners to be processing all these transactions and maintaining the validity of the ledger. And that's a very valuable service that is provided by the miners. And for providing that service, you receive Bitcoin. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangent, so let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm excited to interview William Semisigi. He's a CEO and founder of SAS Mining, which is a crypto mining firm. SAS Mining's turnkey services utilize the excess energy for cryptocurrency mining and substantially increase the revenue for energy companies. The company is constantly expanding their mining infrastructure through their vetted facilities and expert partners. This is a really interesting podcast because it talks about how renewable energy can assist crypto mining. He speaks about one of the crypto mining facilities that they have that uses renewable energy and how increased energy storage adoption would be very beneficial for crypto mining. And then an important term as well called load shedding, which you'll learn in the podcast episode and how that actually increases the revenue for energy companies. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Solar Maverick podcast and thank you for listening. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm excited to have William. He's the CEO and founder of SAS Mining. And we're going to learn a lot in this episode about how crypto mining is partnering with energy industry and also in the renewable energy industry. William, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited as well. Before we start, I was thinking it would be great if you could talk about your company, SAS Mining, and what you focus on. Yeah, definitely. In a nutshell, SAS Mining, we're focused on reducing energy waste in the energy sector. And we do that by utilizing pockets of excess energy or really low cost energy and directing that power towards cryptocurrency mining. Sure that we'll dive into that in much more depth later in the conversation, but we help energy companies make use of their excess energy to improve their profitability. That's a really simple way to explain it. Can you talk about, if our audience is not familiar, we call the solar mavericks, what first cryptocurrency is, and then to talk go into what crypto mining and how mining is associated with cryptocurrency? That is a great place to start. Many times I feel when people talk about cryptocurrency, blockchain, crypto mining, there's a lot of jargon that used. In the simplest way, cryptocurrency, you can think of it as just a digital currency that uses encryption techniques to govern how the currency works. So let's say you compare a cryptocurrency to a fiat currency like the US dollar. The US dollar, you have circulating supply and you have the central banks and the Fed that help dictate the amount of dollars that are added to the supply. Similarly, with a cryptocurrency, you have the laws, quote unquote, that are used to govern how much Bitcoin, for example, is added to the network. And the cryptocurrency mining is the process in which you're adding Bitcoin to the network and really carrying out the protocol for the network. So there are a lot of parallels between cryptocurrency and other types of currencies like fiat currencies, but the mining is really acting almost as like the Fed and the central bank in the governance of the Bitcoin network. Definitely. That's a great way of explaining it. And I think, too, for people to understand, too, the difference, for example, with Bitcoin versus a fiat currency is that there's a limited supply that you can mine right for Bitcoin. I think you actually posted something on LinkedIn about how Bitcoin is actually almost at its run with, you know, additional Bitcoins in the future for mining. 
I like to say that Bitcoin is really the most transparent monetary system that's ever been created. Unlike fiat monetary system where you don't know exactly how much is going to be added to the monetary supply or how many US dollars are going to be printed in the next year. With Bitcoin, you know that there's going to be 21 million ever minted. You know how many Bitcoin is being mined over time and the rules in which Bitcoin is being added into the system. So there are some very clear benefits in that regard in terms of how this cryptocurrency is governed by code rather than by the decisions of a small group or a couple groups of organizations. Definitely. That is really helpful. And it's interesting because you talked about like the protocol related to mining and then obviously following certain rules to basically mine more currency within the limit of that currency. Can you talk about like how the operations work for like a crypto mining computers and servers and how that actually works or go into more detail about that? Yeah. As a cryptocurrency miner, you're providing a service to the network. So that involves exactly what you mentioned. You're building up the infrastructure. You're purchasing the actual mining chips, the hardware. They're called ASICs. You can think of them as supercomputers that are maintaining the transactions for the network and putting through the transactions for the network. And in that process, you consume an enormous amount of energy because these machines are running 24-7. So it's extremely advantageous to be on the lower end of the cost spectrum when you're trying to run these machines with that energy. Definitely. That makes sense. And then what you're talking about is really like the ledger concept, right? Where these networks or supercomputers are basically keeping track of the transactions that are done within that currency. And then they're also mining for new coins. And then how does a crypto miner get compensated? So the way that cryptocurrency mining works is you have all of these different miners globally that are all securing the network and trying to find the next blocks within the Bitcoin network. And the miners that are able to not only validate all the previous blocks, but also find the next block within the network, get the mining reward of the Bitcoin. And at that point, that's how you're earning your revenue. As a miner, it's very simple because once you're compensated in that digital asset, for example, Bitcoin, you can just liquidate that Bitcoin on any of the cryptocurrency exchanges. So you're essentially getting paid dollars right after you're paid that Bitcoin. <laughs> sure, that makes sense. So really it's like a payment that you're getting of the currency if you're doing like obviously keeping track of the transactions, then mining for new currency, then you get paid basically in that respective currency to compensate. Yeah, definitely. And I really do communicate it as we're providing a service and the customer is the Bitcoin network. The Bitcoin network needs the different crypto cryptocurrency miners to be processing all these transactions and maintaining the validity of the ledger. And it's a very valuable service that is provided by the miners. And for providing that service, you receive Bitcoin. Definitely. What are the other popular cryptocurrency outside of Bitcoin? There are a lot of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Bitcoin's definitely the mainstream one that pretty much everyone has heard of by this point. Then you have some other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum to address some of the, I guess, altcoin boom that was happening where everyone's talking about ICOs. You had a lot of tokens that didn't necessarily have the traction of some of these larger networks like Bitcoin and Ethereum. But the main difference, if you're thinking about it, is they have different protocols. So just as one when we talk about Bitcoin, there's the cryptocurrency miners and other networks might have cryptocurrency miners as well. That's proof of work, but it also might have another type of aspect within the protocol, like proof of stake or some other type of way to validate the blockchain. 
And so that's the difference. And they're applied in different ways depending on the protocol. That makes sense. I appreciate you explaining, William. And I know you talked about this a little bit when you were talking about your company. So how are energy companies utilizing like crypto mining to improve their profitability as you talked about? Yeah, well, going back to the economics for mining and how it applies to energy companies, as a cryptocurrency miner, if you have cheap electricity, really low cost energy, then you're able to produce the same amount of Bitcoin as someone else at a lower rate. So for example, just for simple numbers, if we're paying three cents a kilowatt hour for our energy, and there's another miner out there who's paying nine cents per kilowatt hour, our exact same output is costing us one third in terms of electricity. And so to capitalize on this as an energy company, if you're at that source of producing the power and you have access to very cheap energy, especially if you don't have customer for that energy currently, you can just take that excess energy and use it to mine cryptocurrency and drive consistent, profitable baseload demand and consistent revenue for your operations. And that makes an enormous difference to your bottom line. Yeah, definitely. And it sounds like the energy costs are probably one of the bigger costs related to crypto mining. So if you're able to lower the cost by, you were saying one third, or you know, that's a huge savings for their business or even more than that. So Yeah, definitely. And it really is a spectrum too. So you are directly tied to the price of Bitcoin, but the key to being a profitable miner, despite what's happening to the price of Bitcoin, is making sure that you are producing at a lower cost than all the other miners. Because as the price of Bitcoin, let's say it tanks and goes down to 3000 other miners who are higher cost than you are, are all of a sudden going to fall out of profitability as the price of Bitcoin drops. And when they fall out of profitability, they're going to have to shut off their machines. When they shut off their machines, you have less competition for the amount of Bitcoin being paid out by the network to all the miners. And even though the Bitcoin's worth less, you're now receiving a larger part of the distribution from the network. So you're receiving more Bitcoin. So it's a great ebb and flow where you're protected as long as you have a low enough energy cost. Definitely. That's huge. And that's a great point because what you're really talking about is the volatility of Bitcoin. Because right now, what Bitcoin's at, what, 10 or 11,000? I don't know. It fluctuates a lot, but we've been in that range between 10 to 11K for about a month now. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, like volatility then impacts like the operations if you're going to get compensated for that. And if you're able to minimize one of your higher costs, that's like a competitive advantage. So you're really, your company, William's, adding a lot of value to the industry. So that's pretty awesome. Can you talk about as far as like lowering energy costs, what is curtailment and load shedding? I'm sure like a lot of our audience doesn't know about that, but it would be great to hear you like talk about that and explain that more because I think that's like an important part of like how you're saving customers money. Yeah, that's a huge part of maximizing the profitability. So as many of the energy executives out there know, when you're forced to curtail energy or you have that power generation capacity, but you're not able to sell it to the grid or elsewhere, then you're missing out on a lot of potential revenue. And one of the keys within making use of your excess energy and maximizing your grid returns is the ebb and flow between curtailment and load shedding. So let's just take a concrete example for a project that we're working on where there's a certain amount of energy that the mine is taking up of the total capacity that can go to the grid. 
during the peak hours where the grid's paying out very large amount of money per kilowatt hour, you could think of ballpark of like $100 or whatever it may be. You don't necessarily want to put that energy towards the mine because if you put that towards the grid, you're going to be making much higher returns. And so this concept of load shedding is mining the majority of the time that might be 96% of the year. But then during those points where the grid is extremely profitable and you have those peak hours, you take that power capacity from the mine and put it back onto the grid. So you're maximizing your revenue on both ends from the mining perspective, as well as contributing that energy to the grid. And so this is something that the forward looking miners today are doing. And there's huge opportunity because it improves upon the business model of the energy company. And it's something where most businesses, you can't shut them off on a dime and within 10 minutes have all that excess power go to the grid. But with mining, it doesn't matter what hours of the day you're mining, you're just looking at total uptime. And because of that, you have a lot of flexibility with maximizing grid returns and maximizing your mining returns. Sure. So I wonder, do miners tend to increase their power needs during off-peak periods where, you know, electricity prices are the lowest at night or when people are asleep? Because obviously they're working 24-7, but still, are they looking at like time of use rates and other... I'm sure it's pretty sophisticated, right, on how people mitigate these costs, right? there's a lot of planning that goes into building out a facility. So many times something might look good on paper where you think, oh, well, we should go and put a facility here, or go and put a few megawatts of mining rigs in this particular location. But then comes the next step where you're digging into all of the particulars of that site, how long those miners are going to be able to run, if there is the potential, if that power source is even grid tied and there's the potential to do the load shedding and maximize both options. A lot of that just goes into the planning phase and also just understanding what the goals of the operation are. I mean, we have spoken with companies that have looked at it from a perspective where they're trying to utilize the curtailed energy and maximize the returns based on when the energy is cheapest. But it really all comes down to what does the data look like when you crunch the numbers and follow through with the project. That makes sense. It's all about the economics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're not going to go and throw up a five megawatt facility (laughs) after saying, okay, this is going to lose $100,000 a month. (laughs) (laughs) let's do it guys (laughs) that's a great point you know you're working on different projects in texas maine and alberta i know maine it's like you're working with the renewable resource and hydro can you like briefly discuss about those projects you mentioned three of the different projects. Guess we can go one by one. The first one is in Texas, and we're actually identifying a number of different sites right now, aside from the one that we're looking to build out right now. And it's both natural gas, as well as the potential on some of these other sites we're looking at for utilizing flare gas. And the flare gas aspect is one of the ones that I'm extremely excited about because not only the clear economic incentives for doing it, but also the ability to utilize a waste, some sort of externality like flare gas and put it towards productive use, like maintaining the integrity of a decentralized network like Bitcoin. And so I read an article the other day, they were talking about the cost to plug up some of these wells that are leaking. And it was saying that the cost could range from 20 to 140K. And for some of the other shale wells go up as high as 300K to plug some of these wells. So the thing that we're looking to do, we recently just got into a partnership with a company that helps with the installation of generators that can not only 
capture this flare gas, but make it usable for us to place our shipping containers for mining and utilize that excess power to actually mine at extremely low energy costs. And that's another aspect where we're looking at finding the lowest cost energy that we can globally, finding where the economics makes sense to go and get started with mining, and then going and trying to build up the projects and creating value from that. So there's a lot of stranded gas in, for example, Texas. But aside from that, you also mentioned the project that we're working on dealing with hydropower in Maine. And with that project, it's another type of example where that is grid tied, some of that energy. And we're going to incorporating some load shedding elements as well as trying to just make sure that we're able to maximize the returns from the mining perspective, but also from the energy perspective, maximizing the returns from any type of peak hours. That's like a huge value because this energy is not going to be used. And obviously the energy companies are able to sell it and make money from it. I had a question. Are you actually designing the mining facilities itself and then finding the energy sources? Or when SAS Mining comes to a project, what are you focused on and how are you involved in it? Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of times we do both mining on our own account, going and seeking out low cost energy sites and trying to build out sites. But the other side of the business is working with those energy companies who have the excess energy and then try and helping them build their own mines. And we can get very flexible to help get projects through to completion. So flexibility that could be in terms of us acting either as purely a service provider or as a joint venture partner to help get these sites up and running. But in terms of the capability Abilities of what we can do with, let's say you're an energy company out there and it's the first time you're hearing about mining or you have no idea how to build out one of these projects. We have our own design team where we can go and evaluate sites. After we evaluate the site, we'll let you know if we think it makes sense to move forward with a project. And then we handle the entire build out, ongoing management of that site and even the post mining management because you're getting paid in digital assets. You're turning that excess power into Bitcoin. Many people might not even know how to customize Bitcoin or liquidate Bitcoin. And so we help out with that whole process of just turning Bitcoin into fiat currency like US dollars and even helping clients with hedging or lending of that Bitcoin. If they want to keep exposure to Bitcoin, they think that it's a great asset. In some cases, they'd rather have that than dollars. And so if you're not just holding Bitcoin or you've decided to hold Bitcoin, you don't just want to leave it there. You could earn additional revenue from lending it out or just trying to hedge your risk with different types of options. And these are things that are now available because the industry has matured so much just from five years ago. Sure, that's amazing to see how quickly things have matured. Yeah, it's really crazy how much has been created. And that's one of the reasons why I think that there's so much opportunity today. And it's one of the reasons why it's kind of crazy to think that there's almost two worlds right now. You have the people in the mining world who might not be familiar with how the energy sector works. And then you have the people in the energy sector who probably aren't completely aware of all the developments happening in the crypto side of things. So there's a lot of opportunity because of that. But more importantly, there's a huge amount of education that I think is really important to happen and will be happening over the next decade or so. As a leading authority in the solar industry, life gets very busy. In addition to traveling the world as a speaker and for my entrepreneurial ventures, I'm a son, friend, investor, and entrepreneur. And when it comes to delivering a great sounding show for my listeners, I choose Podcast Laundry. All I have to do is record and send and the rest is done. They do the dirty work of podcasting for me. Yes, social media graphics, quotes, show notes, master editing, and much more. All I have to do is record. So if you're a busy podcaster like me with an engaged audience and want to free up your time to do more of what you 
you love, like going to the gym or spending time with loved ones, go to podcastlaundry.com to schedule your consultation or call 347-871-8273. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. Yeah, definitely. Especially as cryptocurrency keeps growing and getting more popular, it's going to become a bigger and bigger need, which is here that you're working on. Obviously, like you want to control your power costs or energy costs in the solar industry. Like a lot of the financeability of projects are based on having a long-term power purchase agreement. Is there like the opportunity for the mining facilities to get PPAs? You know, I know it's not like investment grade credit and <laughs> just kind of curious, like are PPAs being negotiated or are you looking at ways to maybe create PPAs that are bankable, that you're able to add value in some ways to get financiers comfortable? I'm really glad that you touched on this point because this is one of the things that when we're talking about how the space has matured, this is one of the areas in which it's matured a lot. At SAS Mining, we've actually been in a number of negotiations on different PPAs. And one of our goals when we're working on these are to make bankable PPAs, to try and use PPAs as a way to get successful projects up and off the ground. And it's also a new frontier when you're thinking about how these PPAs are bankable from the crypto aspect. I mean, any type of financier, the initial conversation that you're going to be having with them is you're going to be explaining the mechanics behind mining, which we've spoken about on this call, but you have to get them comfortable with how the business operates, how you have recurring revenue and how you're going to be able to pay back whatever needs to be paid back and create an instrument that works for them. And so many times in these discussions, there are many things that are very similar to a traditional bankable PPA. And that could be things like the dispatch risk potential in terms of legislation, changing laws or changing taxes. Is it it's still an early space, how different disputes are going to get resolved, how termination payments are structured and everything that you would traditionally have in a normal bankable PPA. We're trying to figure out the best way to do it within these PPAs that are tied to crypto companies. And the other big piece is obviously you want to make sure that you have credit worthiness from the party who's involved in the contract. And that's another big piece. So overall, if I was to just sum up my thoughts on where we are today and where we're going today, we're a lot further than we were previously. And you're seeing bankable PPAs actually get created. I think that in the future, you're going to see a much more standardized way of creating bankable PPAs. And it's going to be much more of a norm, especially when you look at the mechanics of mining, where you do have those recurring revenues, you have investment in hard assets, you should be able to create bankable PPAs. And yeah, in the future, we're going to see a continued growth financing within the space. I was wondering too, like the other thing is the exchange risk between the currency and then into a fiat currency as well. (laughs) That could be an issue with the power purchase agreement. That's one of the things too, where it really depends on who you're talking with. I mean, when you speak with a lot of these cryptocurrency miners, they're extremely, extremely bullish on the future of Bitcoin. And you have the other aspect of someone who might be more from the finance background and not familiar with cryptocurrencies or someone from the energy sector who, if they're planning their own operation, they're not going to want to have as much currency risk in terms of holding a lot of BTC. So it's really about finding the best way to structure these instruments that's going to get everyone comfortable with moving the project forward. But I guess I mentioned before, there isn't necessarily a tried and true way that every single person is going about doing this. Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. I wonder whether energy companies could basically act as an intermediary and to the renewable energy project. I mean, we see this in solar energy, but aggregate from a lot of different parties to basically make it an investment grade and then have like a PPA with the energy project, if that makes sense. 
I'm sure that that's something that we're going to see more of in the future. I mean, there are a lot of people right now toying with different types of methods and the one that you just laid out might end up being the one that is most commonly used in the future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's already been used today. So like, it's just really the energy companies that are comfortable with basically like green tariffs. That's what it's called, like getting comfortable with crypto mining. And they have obviously very intricate trading desk and are comfortable with all types of risks. So they would seem like the perfect person. And then obviously they're making some sort of profit. So it would seem like an easy opportunity. Then let's say, for example, the load is not coming from the miner. It could just go through someone else in their customer base. So, you know, they're in a situation where they're not guaranteeing the generation or guaranteeing purchasing the generation from the energy project. So it's interesting because I think that could be like a pretty big opportunity. I mean, it's still extremely early in, yes. the, in the space. So the opportunities like that are definitely available and up for grabs. You know, basically, I feel like crypto mining has been around for like five to seven years. And like solar, maybe it's gotten really popular, like 10 to 12 years. So it's funny because I'm taking concepts from two or three years ago that were in the solar industry. And it's like, you know, applying it to like what you're doing. It's just interesting because it's kind of all the same thing. It's just. Yeah. There are. I guess a lot of parallels when you look at it like that between the two industries. Yeah, definitely. Because like before that, like there were such issues on bankability, merchant power, and all these other things. And people are getting more comfortable with certain things faster than I thought they would. So I think what you're doing is pretty interesting. You started to see that really start to take off within the past like three years, you said? Yeah, three or four years. And before it was really difficult because, you know, companies are requiring to be 100% renewable and buy the power specifically from the generator instead of like using an environmental commodity to cover their load. And what was end up happening was smaller companies want to do the same thing, but they just don't have the credit or the staff who could negotiate like these corporate PPAs, which are essentially like a contract for differences. So then energy companies start coming in and basically offering like a green tariff where basically their customers because they were getting pressure from their customers, which are companies that they want to buy load directly from clean energy. So then they acted as like an intermediary. So like Puget Sound, which is in Oregon, I think was one of the first energy companies to do that. Washington Gas, which is in DC, Maryland, has done that as well, I think, on several projects. So it's interesting. I think it's going to be something that you're going to see in crypto mining. So. Well, this could be the genesis of a different type of structure right here. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> because PPAs are a little a little bit too complicated, I feel like, especially for what you're talking about. Why not just like the utility company offer that value to the customer base? And it doesn't matter what industry you're in, right? Everyone should have equal access or every company if you're a customer of the utility to green power. So I think there's an opportunity there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And it would be actually really interesting to hear in solar, we're always talking about energy storage. And we were talking about this before is like, how do you think once energy storage becomes more prevalent, how that potentially could impact crypto mining? I mean, that's a great question because that will change the dynamics. I would say that when you're going back to the core of what is going to get a cryptocurrency mine created or what is going to run one of these cryptocurrency mines, you're looking at that power cost and you're looking at, again, those economic incentives. And when you all of a sudden have better storage technologies and you have the need to sell that excess power that you might be storing, you open up the opportunity for more companies who might just be trying to find a way to maximize their profitability by using that excess energy or that stored energy for cryptocurrency mining. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a huge opportunity. And as in the pre-interview you mentioned too, like just being able to plan ahead, you know, before, I mean, that creates a huge like opportunity. Planning is definitely a big part of it because you all of a sudden can take a proactive approach to maximizing the utilization of your power assets. And you're going to have less excess power that is just going unused and you're not generating any revenue from. If you understand, I'm going to only be able to sell X number of megawatts, but I'm generating more than that, then maybe I create a base load demand with a cryptocurrency mine to go and increase my asset utilization and profitability. That's pretty amazing. I mean, what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a huge opportunity. I mean, I think in three to five years, you're going to see a lot of energy storage in the US. So it's going to be a huge opportunity for whoever within your space is able to figure it out. Yeah. When you think about it too, the energy companies today are looking at a landscape where there's so much changing, right? And I don't want to get political about anything, but it is a consideration of how are things going to change following an election year? One of the things that just recently came up with our company, Saz Mining, we joined the United States Energy Association and we're staying up to date with all the activities and different events that they have planned. And it's a consistent dialogue that they're having internally and that we're seeing is that there's a lot of uncertainty in the future just with what the rules are going to be moving forward. And so I think that really taking that approach and being open-minded to all the options out there and then planning accordingly is really what is going to give any energy executive the best opportunity to go and create a large successful organization. That's a great point. And that's smart of you guys to join that because really what we're seeing is a transformation of the energy industry and everything's completely going to change where it hasn't changed for a very long time. I mean, and which creates opportunity, right? And with the, the disruption and if you're able to take advantage of it, so that's huge. Yeah. And then you just take the events of recent year. It's been a crazy 2020, all things considered. But I mean, think about the way that electricity demand was shocked by the events of COVID. And all of a sudden you had to be able to adapt to see, okay, well, we had a certain amount of demand here. And now due to changing circumstances, that demand isn't there anymore. So how am I going to adjust from an executive position to make sure that we're making use of all of our assets in the best way possible? What's interesting is like our podcast is about solar and entrepreneurship. What made you found as mining? Like how did that happen? And then what got you interested in cryptocurrency and crypto mining? Glad you also brought this up with the podcast. The goal with it really was understanding of cryptocurrency and blockchain and then understanding of the energy sector. And I think that this is just extremely, extremely important and that there's a huge opportunity here for companies in both industries. But a lot of the conversations, such as the ones we're having right now, aren't available out and online. And I think that that's something that provides enormous value to the industry. And that was the reason for creating the SaaS Mining Podcast. And I think it's important for every single person in crypto as well as energy to just at least understand the other industry to see if it's something that could benefit your business in the long run. And then going back to SaaS mining and cryptocurrency, I've been very interested in it for cryptocurrency and blockchain technology for a very long time. And it goes back in part due to what we talked about at the very beginning when you compare the digital currency, like a cryptocurrency to the traditional system, like a fiat currency. I think that there are some very impressive and interesting benefits that you can automate into the system of a cryptocurrency that you can't automate into a fiat currency. 
And I think that there's a way for an incremental improvement to be made. And if I could be a part of incremental movement to improve the system, that sounded very exciting. And as we mentioned before, within the cryptocurrency, the miners are actually the ones validating the network, upholding the network and supporting Bitcoin, which is the largest cryptocurrency out there. And it's really exciting to have SAS mining part of the movement, but also part of the education process between energy and the mining sector to bridge those to continue to support the movement over the long run. Definitely. That's a great point. It's interesting because SAS mining does the mining, right? I mean, I don't know if you're able to disclose, but what type of currencies are you looking to focus on when it comes to crypto? Yeah, right now we're focusing a lot on Bitcoin for many of those reasons in terms of monetary supply. And I think especially in today's environment, you look at the macroeconomic forces at play. Bitcoin is like an inflation hedge asset. So with all the money printing that's gone on this year, aside from the initial liquidity crisis where all stocks dropped and Bitcoin in a day dropped over 50%, which is just crazy to say out loud. Aside from that initial liquidity crisis, Bitcoin has performed extremely well. It dropped to like 3,400 and now we're over 10K year to date, including that enormous one day crash. Bitcoin is still up, I believe about as of like a few days ago, 57% year to date. So best performing asset class, despite having a horrendous day in March. And I think that overall it's the cryptocurrency, the digital asset that says mining, we're trying to keep the most exposure to. It's interesting you mentioned that because like I think of the Winklevoss twins who have like the highest <laughs> Bitcoin holdings, which I think they say equates to a billion dollars. But they were saying that Bitcoin is better during like a recession than gold because, you know, Bitcoin is a limited commodity where gold obviously could potentially be more than that. I don't know if you agree with that or I think it sounds like you agree that Bitcoin is a great safe haven, especially when the economy is in distress. This is a really interesting discussion here when in comparing gold and Bitcoin. And we can get really deep in on it, just depending on how much time we want to spend. But overall, if you look at the value of gold, right, and the market cap of gold, Yes, gold has utility in, for example, jewelry. Gold also has the benefit of just the time horizon, how long gold has been accepted as money. But the real value of gold isn't in its utility. It's within that store of value narrative. And that is the reason why you're looking at the market cap. I'm going to misquote it if I try and give an exact amount, but many, many trillions of dollars for the gold market cap. Whereas Bitcoin got much better properties in terms of looking at it as a currency. To have a solid currency, it needs to be a limited supply to a certain extent. You need to have the visibility. So if I'm trying to spend dollars, I need to be able to break down the unit of account to make sure it's going to function well as money. I also need to have, aside from divisibility, just transportability. It doesn't make sense to try and pay with something that you can't just carry around. And these are some of the reasons why with Bitcoin, you have benefits in terms of the store value narrative and the potential for it to act as money above and beyond gold. And that's aside from the transparent monetary supply and the certain perceived supply of gold. It was funny that you brought up the Winklevoss twins. I watched a video the other day. They were meeting up with Dave Portnoy. Yes, you know, Dave Portnoy, yeah, the, from Barstool. And they were trying to teach Portnoy how to buy Bitcoin. And he was talking through the benefits of Bitcoin and gold. And one of the things that the Winklevoss twins had to say as a knock on gold was the fact that on earth, yes, there is a like a limited supply to a certain extent of gold. And you can't just automatically add a bunch of gold to the supply. But then they started talking about the potential 
hassle to go and like mine gold from another planet that would completely ruin the supply demand economics that make gold valuable. And when they told Portnoy this, Portnoy said something along the lines of, you guys actually believe this. I don't understand how you believe this because you guys come off as so smart because of all the things that you've done. But some of the stuff you say just is so stupid. <laughs> but I mean, the Winklevoss twins have obviously made some very good decisions in the past with investments. They invested in Bitcoin very early on and they actually came out with, I think it was about a month or two ago, a price prediction for Bitcoin. And it's a long, extensive report. If anyone wants to go read it and find out how they came to this number, they can go online and look it up. Winklevoss twins prediction for the price of Bitcoin is 500K. So that's their prediction for the future price of Bitcoin. I'm extremely bullish on it, but I haven't put an exact number by a certain time horizon, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw enormous multiples in the price over the next 10 years. You know, everyone who I know in the cryptocurrency arena is telling me about Bitcoin and that it's going to go a lot higher in value over time. And it's interesting because the Winklevoss twins were talking about there's a lot of gold actually in Mars. And, you know, yeah. Musk is actually working on trying to get, you know, people to live on Mars in a certain period of time. Now, I saw the interview. I thought it was pretty interesting. And people, if you don't know about the Winklevoss twins, you know, they also said that they founded Facebook and they litigated Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg to receive like some sort of settlement where they got a certain amount of shares, so... Yeah, it's so crazy. I mean, that, that early Facebook team, that Zuckerberg and then the Winklevoss twins. So those, yeah, the Winklevoss twins were in the social network in that movie. In the movie. And Divya as well, who was friends with the Winklevoss. It's funny because he would call me about his company. You know, they do like stock market research and picking online. So it was interesting. And I'm like, it's, yeah, it's just pretty funny. <laughs> interesting world we live in. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. It would be great to understand, like, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs. Like you started Saz Mining, it's what, been two years now or? Yeah, started it in January of 2018. Okay. So what's been your experience in entrepreneurship? What advice do you have? I know you've worked on other stuff before that as well. <laughs> there are a lot of things that people will always talk about in terms of entrepreneurship and what they believe is the best approach. For me personally, I think that I would really take two key lessons that I think would really get someone going in a good direction. The first one being first principles thinking. And that's something that other very successful entrepreneurs preach like Elon Musk. And the essence of first principles thinking is to really get down to the core truths and like those elements that are the building blocks of your core truths and try and build up an approach from that rather than just analogy of, oh, it's been done like this over time. So we're going to work in this framework. So I think that that's one thing that really helps with creativity in whatever industry you're in, just really asking why, 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 and go as deep as you can and getting those basic elements when trying to construct your plan. And then once you have conviction, you think that you have a very good thesis and a very good message behind your plan, then it's really about going and putting in a lot of work and trying to do the best with as much as you've got. So if you've got a certain amount of capital, just find the best way to make that capital go as far as possible, get as much work done as possible. And one of the things that I think is really important within that, a great book I would recommend reading is The 4-Hour Workweek. And if you read that book, you'll kind of get a sense for what I'm talking about when I mean making the most of whatever you have and just trying, because you only have so many hours in a day, every person out there only has so many hours. So how are you going to move the needle forward as much as you possibly can within your 24 hours every single day. 
Yeah, definitely. That's great advice. And yeah, for our work week by Tim Ferriss, it's a great book. I've read a few times. That's an awesome book. It would be great to talk more too about what made you start. You kind of talked about this before the SAS Mining podcast, but it seems like when we're talking about the pre-interview, there were several different reasons why you started it. You know, I appreciate you, William, having me on the podcast as well. And that's episode two, if people wanted to listen to that on the SAS Mining podcast. So. That was a great podcast. And I think that the conversations that we've had, like this is the second one, the other one was on the other podcast. But again, I think that these conversations are so important to have. And anytime within a new industry, I mean, solar, you're one of the dominant figures within solar and you're doing so much for the industry. And it's incredible to see all the work that you're doing. And I think that each of us working within our own sphere, within our own industries, and then together right now, the conversations we're having to brainstorm ways to move both industries forward and talk about how they will intersect over time. That's really what I think is so valuable with the podcast. That's another reason why we tried to join the USEA and explain what we see going on, not only in the US, but in the mining industry internationally within different countries and really shaping the future of the industry is something that's really exciting and has been a lot of fun to work on. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, I've listened to the three podcasts that you've had so far. I've learned a lot about mining and I think you do a great job with your show with the moderation and the content that you're putting out there. I don't hear anyone talking about the topics that you're talking about and you're adding value to the industry. So that's great. Congratulations. Thanks. You as well, man. It's just incredible. I mean, you've been doing the podcast longer than I have. We just launched our first season, but you put out a lot of content and I'm sure that it's adding value to a lot of people, not only within your industry, but at least me personally as well, outside of the solar industry, I learned a lot from it too. Definitely. I appreciate you listening. And if our audience who we call the Solar Mavericks want to reach out to you, like what's the best way for them to connect? I actually am not very active on social media, but a lot of the time really just goes into the SAS Mining podcast and the company SAS Mining, www.sasmining.com. So we're really active on LinkedIn, Twitter. The spelling is S-A-Z-M-I-N-I-N-G. And if you just type that into Google, you'll find many ways to connect with us. The one last thing is if you're out there and you're an energy CEO or you're within the energy industry and any of the information that we've talked about with mining seems interesting and you're wondering if there might be a site for you that it would be useful to get involved, we'd be happy to talk through it and see if it necessarily makes sense or doesn't make sense for your site. But I think a lot of it does come down to that proactive planning and making sure that you're aware of the possibility if it's something that fits. And we'll be very blunt if we think that it doesn't make sense. But if it does make sense, then you have another opportunity that you could potentially take if you'd like. That's really helpful for energy companies to know that they could reach out to you and see if their site is viable. And we'll have like links to SAS Mining Podcast, your Twitter account, the website and LinkedIn so that people will be able to contact you through that. Thanks Great. again. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, William. This has been an amazing interview. I appreciate your time. I think you've had a lot of value to our listeners and thanks. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think could benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-N-E-U energy.com. The Solar Maverick Podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thangin and Kevin Y. Brown.